Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No Trump. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaigns. Oh wait, unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hey, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thanks, as always, for joining us this week. A lot going on. Major new developments on the COVID-19 front. New restrictions coming, but more importantly, more information, thanks to Judicial Watch, about the alliance between big tech and big government on COVID-19. You, I guess you won't be surprised by the documents, but you'll be very interested in them. Uh, elections are still under assault, or I should say free and fair elections are still under assault. Congress and the left are trying to undermine election security. Uh, some updates there. And plus, we have a new, uh, or I shouldn't say new lawsuit, an amended lawsuit and new developments in our civil rights lawsuit against Lori Lightfoot, the uh, mayor of Chicago who engaged in racist behavior. So a lot to talk about this week. First up, obviously, is COVID-19. There are new mask requirements being put in place, new concerns about the Delta variant, uh, new efforts to mandate vaccines. And I'm not going to get into uh, the craziness around that, other than to say the CDC is corrupt. The CDC is corrupt. It's no different than the FBI. It's no different than the Justice Department or the NSA or other big government agencies we're used to talking about. It's as deep state as the rest of them. Uh, And you see the uh, insanity and the whipsaw way in which they're approaching this COVID issue. I don't need to tell you much more than that. Uh, But I do want to talk about the pressing concern about the attack on our First Amendment rights because of big tech censorship of criticism of the CDC, of criticism of their political health pronouncements, either by the FDA, the CDC, or WHO, which is in many ways a tool of the communist Chinese. And as you know, or should know, that you know Facebook and Twitter and all the rest have been censoring and suppressing posts that question some of the issues related to COVID. I know I've been blocked out of Twitter since January uh, for highlighting the uh, a simple fact, a true fact uh, about hydroxychloroquine. Completely accurate. Something that, faced, that Twitter specifically had found not to be in violation of their rules, but now has decided is in violation of the rules. And they want me to take down that tweet, supposedly, which is true and accurate, before I go back on. And forgive me for thinking I shouldn't have to do that. I've been locked out since January. Facebook has suppressed Judicial Watch information, censored Judicial Watch information um, related to government documents that we accurately reported on concerning adverse event reports uh, detailed in Veteran Affairs, Veteran Administration documents tied to the COVID-19 vaccines. So who knows, given what Facebook and Twitter and Google and YouTube, Google owns YouTube. So whenever you hear YouTube, think Google. 
Facebook owns Instagram too. So whenever you think Instagram, think Facebook. So the rules are arbitrarily enforced. They're capricious. They changed based on politics, not based on, quote, science. Uh, so these are uh, dangerous times for our civil liberties and the First Amendment. And the concern is that uh, these private entities really are acting as if they're government entities, not just effectively, but literally in the sense that they're coordinating with the government to suppress information they don't like. And you may recall the Biden administration full-heartedly, full-throatedly, full-heartedly or fully endorsed that uh, censorship and, and is now pushing for specific censorship by Facebook of uh, what they consider to be misinformation or disinformation. And if you're the Biden administration, criticism of the Biden administration is almost necessarily misinformation. So we're not allowed to criticize anything related to COVID unless it's blessed, unless it's blessed. And so questions about the vaccine's efficacy and safety are essentially banned, essentially banned. Both ill-founded ones and well-founded ones. And let me just say this, those folks who pretend to know the difference don't know Jack. And they're lying to you if they pretend to know the difference. And this is why more information rather than less information is better. And I trust you to separate the wheat from the chaff, to separate the information that is obviously false or is probably false or you should just look at and just put in the back of your mind because it may or may not be true, but it's not going to impact your decision making. So uh, Judicial Watch has long been interested because we suspected that the bungling nature and illogical and political nature of the censorship of citizens on Facebook, Twitter, and Google is so egregious that it just can't be a private sector initiative. It's so bad, the government has to be involved, right? And certainly on election issues, uh, which is tied to COVID because the election changes were in largely in response as a, well, well, election law changes or procedures were often in response to COVID mania. We showed that in California and in Iowa, you had intervention by government officials to delete material, accurate material, specifically targeting judicial law. Other citizens too. Coordination and collusion to censor material from the internet through Facebook, Google, YouTube, Twitter, you name it. So we were very interested to know about the uh, similar efforts uh, at the federal level with COVID. So we did an initial request. Of course, we were stonewalled because that's what they do on COVID issues. You have legitimate questions that a citizen may not want to answer in a timely way. We've had to sue for everything. And including this request, which was tied to, let me bring it up on my uh, thing, my phone here, any, any and all records of communications between CDC officials and or employees and employees, agents, and or representatives of Google, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube concerning regarding and relating to COVID-19 related content or in company platforms. 
Such records include, but not are, are not limited to, any advice or instructions issued on disinformation, Ray COVID-19. And so we received 2,469 documents or pages of documents uh, after we sued. We had to sue again. When did we sue for this stuff? You know, we sued in March. Well, this is a this is a world record response. Of course, we asked for these documents in September, so it only took about a year, right? A little less than a year to get them. You know, and as I said, when we asked the request, when we asked the uh, question or, or sued in court, the public has a right to know about CDC's involvement in big tech's outrageous censorship of Americans, including doctors who raised questions about the COVID-19 response. And I called on the Biden administration to stop the stonewall and release the documents, but we did get some documents. It's only close after we filed a federal lawsuit for it. So again, this is, this is probably a good time frame if you're ever wondering how long it takes. It usually takes about a year of non-response and a federal lawsuit before you get documents. That's typically how long it takes. That's the lawlessness. By the way, FOIA requires responses within 20 days. So if you want a full response, you got to sue and it takes a year. So there's this kind of this endemic. If you talk about a, 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 a pandemic, there's a pandemic of secrecy, illicit secrecy in the federal government. So these new documents, I'm sorry to, to take so long to get to the big news, show Collusion, as our headline says, CDC coordinated with Facebook on COVID-19 messaging and, quote, misinformation. And CDC received over three and a half million dollars in free advertising from the social media companies. So I encourage you to go and look at these documents directly, and you're going to be interested to read them, I think. Uh, they show that uh, Facebook sent to uh, the CDC a document called um, F Facebook Coronavirus Narrative to the CDC. So they send their narrative to the CDC and it states the following in part, Facebook is taking a three-pronged approach to the global response for the coronavirus. And I think this is the most interesting part of that. Let it limit misinformation and other harmful content on our platforms. Our third party fact checkers, have been rating information on this topic as false, including the AP, PolitiFact, AFP, Hong Kong, Rappel IO in the Philippines. As a result, we show people who come across that false content accurate information from our fact-checking partners and strong warning labels. So censorship and suppression. We also send notifications to people who've already shared this content, alerting them that it's been fact-checked. So what they do is they use leftist fact checkers to target people putting out information about COVID. And the fact checkers are leftists, and their goal is to uh, suppress information that is harmful to the big government narrative on COVID. That's what I think they do. I, that's been my experience with it. And this is sent, by the way, on January 26, 2020. So COVID isn't even out the door, practically speaking, here in the United States. And Facebook already is coordinating with CDC, telling them, don't worry, we're going to delete material and censor. 
hand in glove. And they're going to provide accurate and helpful information on our platforms to our partners. And uh, the partners include uh, ad credit. They gave ad credits to WHF. So they gave, Facebook gave money to WHO, the China front operation. So bent over backwards to protect the Chinese in the beginning of coronavirus. And they're talking about additional steps they can take, including dedicated information modules on relevant search queries and improved search ranking, which is another way for saying they're going to suppress certain content and elevate other content. And they're going to empower partners with data tools. And they were going to, and the partners included, and they were exploring doing this as a broader set of partners beyond the academy as WHO. So they were going to allow WHO access to private Facebook data about its users' activities and the government access to data about its uh, users' activities, CDC, to help partners understand how people are talking about the issue online through tools like CrowdTangle to inform their efforts. And CrowdTangle is the analysis tool, one of the analysis tools they use. So if this doesn't count as message coordination, I don't know what does. And the CDC, as I say, was given over three and a half million dollars of free advertising on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And the documents show that pretty clearly. And you know what I think is interesting about these documents? I'll tell you, because when I was looking at them, you know, there are thousands of pages of documents. You're trying to review them. And I was getting confused as to where the documents were coming from in that I had to go keep on going back to the email sender and recipient fields because I was confused as whether Facebook was sending the document or whether it was a government document. That's how hand in glove, that's how joined at the hip they were. That it was hard, you know, if, if you didn't have the sender and recipient fields, you would be hard pressed to figure out who was writing the emails. And so uh, you've got the government getting three and a half million dollars to boost posts. And then you have uh, this effort, admitted effort by Facebook early on to censor people. Now, we all know that censorship in part included censoring information about the origins of the Wuhan virus, meaning whether it came from a lab or had it originated in a lab versus, you know, some, somewhere in nature. And they were censoring. Was that part of this? I think it's, you, how else could you, I mean, they basically admitted that, that they would stop censoring. So it was part of it. So they weren't censoring people, only saying, "Well, you should you should you know drink some dangerous liquid or do something obviously dangerous." No, they were censoring political commentary. And whenever you hear scientific consensus as a as an excuse to censor people, it's the complete opposite of science. It's the complete opposite of science. And of course, it's really not about science. This is about politics. 
So these documents show that Facebook and CDC are joined at the hip on managing the ever-changing COVID-19 narrative. And as I said earlier, it's ever-changing. And when you don't have to point to evidence in order to change the change your mandates, or you're not required to, or there's really no standard of evidence that you have to uh, use in terms of saying, well, what's the, what's the basis of this? And then when you point to the basis, it could be whatever you want it to be. From I'm worried, which to me would be much more honest. I just wish these government officials would just say, you know what? We don't know. And we're worried. So we're being maybe overly cautious, but we think it's warranted because we're very worried and this virus is nasty. You forget it. That would have been, I think, acceptable to large swaths of the population. But instead, it's you do what I say. And if you question it, you're a racist and a Republican and you should suffer awful consequences and be denied the ability to work, be denied the ability to school. All sorts of punishment. And that's big government at work. So they got this collusion to manage the narrative and involve censorship. And it involves, it's clear, the government. The Biden administration has lifted the veil. I don't need a FOIA document to point uh, to uh, to prove the case because I can point to what the president spokesman says, what President Biden says. Public documents, of course, for the media sometimes that isn't even enough. So we've got a lot of questions here. Uh, these documents are consistent with the concern that big government and big tech are joined hand in glove, joined at the hip. No daylight in censorship and propagandizing related to COVID. So we'll see what's going to happen. My view is the left is, uh, uh, they're, they're planning for more shutdowns, the more lockdowns more suppression, more censorship, more mandates. And I keep on looking for the Fauci gold standard studies, random, randomized placebo-controlled studies that their medical interventions to control the spread of coronavirus actually do control the spread of coronavirus. That's the question I have. meaning lockdowns and mask mandates and social distancing. Where's the science behind that? Other than they think it's a good idea because that's what their instincts are. Which I said, that's more honest than saying, how dare you question this? So forgive me for saying those things. That may get me censored. Who knows? Maybe you won't be able to see this. If you are, to see, if you are able to see this, it's, a, it's another victory for the First Amendment, at least for today. So we are not afraid of the censorship. We're going to keep on asking these questions. You know, we sue. We sue in federal court. And we take this stuff seriously. We take accountability seriously. So more is coming. 
So next up, uh, as, I, as I noted to you, is the related threat to fair and clean elections. You may recall in 2020, COVID was used as justification to change election procedures in a way that I think undermined confidence in the elections by allowing processes uh, to be put in place uh, that uh, were less secure than the processes that preceded it. And now the Justice Department, sure enough, run by the Democrats and the Biden administration, have decided that any efforts to kind of remove those changes that supposedly were for COVID, right, would be challenged by the Biden administration. And not only that, the Biden administration was also going to challenge anyone who wanted to audit the results of the 2020 elections. So now the Biden administration is misusing the Justice Department to help Dan Emmett Biden, and he is a candidate, practically speaking. He says he expects to run for president again. To help candidate Biden maintain election structures in place that benefited him, obviously, politically last time around. But many people opposed because of the security concerns about the processes. And so even modest efforts that, in my view, mistakenly enshrine in law these mistaken policies, such as widely making it widely uh, uh, too easy by half to vote by mail. I, I don't like vote by mail. People should be voting on in person on election day. Generally speaking, there's always exceptions, but the exceptions prove the rule. But what about the what about the what about the, the military man, combat troop in Syria? Okay, if you're fighting for America in Syria, you don't need to vote on election day. You can vote by mail. Everyone else, you can vote by mail, uh, vote in person, please. And of course, voter ID. Why is that not widely available or widely mandated? So this is a wide way of saying that uh, our lawyer, uh, Russ Nobile, one of our expert election law lawyers, who actually worked in the Justice Department and was had to enforce the voting laws now that the uh, Congress wants to upend and change, he testified again this week. When the plan by the left is to bypass states' ability to manage elections and to mitigate against fraud by having the hardcore leftist partisans in the Justice Department run elections effectively nationwide, allow virtually every voter ID change or law to be presumptively deemed racist and subject to scrutiny by the Justice Department, to mandate ballot harvesting. There are two laws that issue that they want to change. And both, both would be terrible, in my view, if passed. But the specifics aren't important. It's the principles. The principles are having a federal takeover of election management in a way to make it harder uh, to have uh, procedures in place to ensure, uh, ensure confidence that the elections are fair, free, and fairly counted. So they're desperate to get this done before uh, 2022 for obvious reasons. So if you like voter ID, that, that would practically speaking end. And by the way, the voter ID, uh, you know, the left now is requiring vaccine mandates. The president of the United States has wants you 
uh, and it wants uh, uh, elite government workers to have vaccine mandate to be, uh, let, me, let me be clear. The federal government will require you to, if you're working for the federal government, practically speaking, to either uh, have proof of vaccination or be segregated in your job by being forced to uh, uh, go through this rigmarole in order to continue working with invasive tests twice, once or twice a week, mask wearing and restrictions on travel. So punishment. So it's a mandate. They don't want to call it a mandate, but it is a mandate. And he's encouraging others to pursue that. But they don't require, um, <laughs> so the left likes the idea of vaccine mandates, but opposes voter ID. Think about that for a second. You've got to get medical treatment in order to, to earn a living. And if you don't, certainly in the private sector, you could lose your job. The left applauds that, and they criticize those who criticize it. What a voter ID? You're the worst person since Jim Crow. What's but of course the left is being perfectly consistent, right? It's it's exercise of power. In the case of voter, in the case of vaccine mandates, uh, they don't you know. Well, they just like the idea of mandates. In the case of voter ID, they see voter ID as a hindrance to obtaining and retaining power, so they oppose it. So there is a certain logic to it. And just so you know, in 15 states, there is no voter ID at all. States like Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Illinois, California, big states like that. Here in the District of Columbia, there's no voter ID. I mean, in California, I think you may have to show an ID the first time you vote, but after that, you're in like Flint. So this is now, I think, the, the fourth or fifth time our lawyers have testified in the last two months on these election laws, uh, changes that are being proposed by the radical left. And it's a, more of a Democrat thing, too. Uh, but, you know, we go up there, we're nonpartisan, we try to highlight what the law is. And one of the key points that Ross and Bob Popper, who runs our election law project, has shown, has highlighted is it's not 1965 anymore. And stop lying to the American people that uh, minorities have uh, the voting challenges that they had in 1965. They don't. The Voting Rights Act worked and they don't want to admit it. Because to admit it would be to take away a tool they can use to change the structure of our election systems in a way that are more likely to benefit them politically. It's an abuse of power. And, and you know, in 50 years, a population where the registration numbers were abysmal and voting was abysmal, the voting now is where any sensible person would want it to be. The registration rates are where any but sensible person would want it to be. Now, of course, could they improve? Sure, voter registration that, uh, rates could improve across all demographics. But the idea that there's any racism in the administration of our election laws, as the left alleges, is a, is a knowing falsehood. 
And so I'm proud our lawyers are representing us in, in, in Congress here, schooling Congress on the truth, educating American citizens by the boatload as a result of this. So it's just great. But we're not only in Congress, we're in court. We have three lawsuits, three federal lawsuits against North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Colorado to clean up their roles. I think in North Carolina and Pennsylvania, last I checked, they had nearly 2 million extra names on the rolls that, in our view, shouldn't be there because they were old and should have been removed as the law requires. And there's new data that's coming out on the 2020 registration race that we'll be comparing with census data and our experts will figure out if how dirty the rolls are currently after the 2020 election and we'll see what happens. So we're, we're going to keep on working here. This race game is, is a dangerous game. It, it's so anti-American. It's so un-American. You know, and the left used to say they were, the left had said that they're against racism, but they actually promote racism. And it's, it's really quite obvious in the case that we brought against Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot for discriminating against white journalists. She said she didn't want to interview white, have white journalists uh, interview her. And we sued on behalf of Daily Caller News Foundation's um, reporter, Tom Beninacci, I guess how his name is pronounced, for violating his First Amendment rights. And if we sued for the Daily Caller News Foundation, the journalism entity that employs him, for violating your First Amendment rights and um, Kennedy's right to equal protection under the 14th Amendment. So this is a civil rights lawsuit against the racist mayor of uh, Chicago. And so we filed the lawsuit. We updated it. You know, and as we explained in the amended complaint on May 18th, 2021, a Chicago reporter tweeted that Mayor Lightfoot's spokesperson informed her that the mayor is, quote, granting one-on-one -on -one interviews only to black or brown journalists. Of course, black and brown are capitalized, which drives, which drives me crazy. I mean, that's, that's, that's racist. It's straight out of apartheid South Africa. But the left is now capitalizing racial terms to further inflame us along racial lines. It's terrible. Don't you love how I get this? I get so angry over something that is, this is why I shouldn't even read this stuff because I get angry on something that's not even directly on point here, but it's still important. Mayor Lightfoot subsequently released a letter stating by now, You've heard the news that on the occasion of the two-year anniversary of my inauguration as mayor of this great city, I'll be exclusively providing one-on-one -on -one interviews with journalists of cover. color. Neither Mayor Lightfoot nor her spokesperson suggested that the mayor's new race-based interview policy was not permanent or identified any time limit on how long the mayor intended to use race-based criteria for granting interview requests. So just incredible, incredible blatant racism by a government official. As I said in my statement with this release, with our amended complaint, we updated it. Mayor Lightfoot discriminated against journalists based on their race. 
We've repeatedly requested that Lightfoot sign a consent decree agreeing not to use this race-based criteria for interview requests for the remainder of her time in office. Not only did her lawyers ignore these requests, in a recent interview, this is kind of this is really unbelievable. An unrepentant Lightfoot told the New York Times writer, I would absolutely do it again. I'm unapologetic about it because it spurred a very important conversation, a conversation that needed to happen that should have happened a long time ago. So now the mayor says she would discriminate on race on the basis of race again. And that she uses uh, now. Did you know it's all right to discriminate according to the mayor on the basis of race to quote generate a conversation? Try using that as an excuse to discriminate on the basis of race. It won't get you anywhere in court. But this is what we, we are. This is what we're in. The situation we're in now with the mayor of Chicago. And as our client said, I can't believe the mayor Lightfoot told the New York Times. She would absolutely discriminate against reporters, again, based on their race. If she isn't, stop. What next? Fair question, don't you think? And the Daily Caller News Foundation said a policy of granting interviews based on the color of a reporter's skin isn't merely discrimination. It undercuts the foundational principles of freedom of the press. That Mayor Lightfoot is unapologetic about her policy speaks volumes. Again, the communications director testified that the mayor used race-based criteria for granting interview requests for two days at least and did not grant any interview requests to white reporters. And they still haven't responded to our client's request for an interview. I mean, there are all sorts of ways they could have ended this case, but they don't want to. As the mayor says, she's, she's unapologetic and unrepentant about it. So she's supposed to respond to this complaint by August 2nd. So it'll be interesting to see. So August 2nd is, uh, what's today? Well, anyway, August 2nd is next week, too. So maybe I'll talk about it next week if I have time. So doing a lot again, doing the heavy lifting again, Judicial Watch. I encourage you uh, to uh, support our work directly. I encourage you to support uh, and show your support on our various social media platforms and our hours, literally. We're on all the social media platforms, uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. We're also on the new up and coming platforms such as Parler and Rumble. I'm on Facebook too. I'm on Twitter, but I'm locked out, so I'm not updating it. But frankly, you should go back and look at my old tweets because they can still, they're almost, almost all of them are still relevant. Uh, eventually, I, I suspect eventually I'll be back on Twitter, but I'm not sure when. But I encourage you to, to, you know, don't abandon social media. It's a key way to educate citizens uh, and to educate yourself. That's why they want to censor us because we're winning. The left say, the left says, well, look, all these. You know, right-wing groups are doing well on social media. And on my Facebook page, I reached a million um, users last week. And the less response was, you know, and I said, oh, we did this, this is great, despite the censorship. And they said, well, how is it censorship if you reach so many people? Because we couldn't reach many more. I told you they're suppressing our content. 
And we're also and we're also are restricted from what we can say. If YouTube, if I said certain things about the election that are accurate or fairly based, YouTube will take our videos down. Well, actually, they have taken our videos down, as I said previously, at the request of a government official in the state of California. So I encourage you, don't don't abandon social media. Just use it as best as you're able, given the outrageous circumstances we face. Uh, also, support us financially. You know, Judicial Watch is a charity. We're one of the most widely supported charities on the conservative side of things. I suspect we're one of the biggest grassroots groups in the country in terms of having wide uh, numbers of, of, of uh, public support. Individual donors who just write us checks through, you know, give us, uh, you know, support us through the internet and such. So you can go to our website at judicialwatch.org and support us directly. And also share your email with us. Share your email. Also share your mailing address with us. Because I'm convinced that uh, it may get worse before it gets better in terms of social media censorship. So we may not be able to be, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Judicial Watch ultimately is the platform. So uh, one thing we can do is go to the mails. So I encourage you to share that information with us if you want our information. So you can go to our website and do that as well. So with that said, have a wonderful week and I'll see you here next time on the Judicial Watch Weekly. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.